This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Nancy. Thank you. My name is Nancy, and I'm powerless over food. Hi, Nancy. I'm not used to speaking for such a long time. I'm, I'm used to feeling frustrated that I only have three minutes. <laughs> so I guess that's not going to happen tonight. Well, I want to thank Chase for asking me to speak tonight. My home meeting is the um, anorexic bulimic meeting on Monday night on Wilshire. I'm used to hearing and thinking about um, recovery stories in two parts, what it was like before and what it's like now. And I feel that my story really has three parts. And it has to do with what my eating was like before I got into recovery, what my eating was like and my life was like um, after I got into recovery and lost my abstinence and was in relapse, and what my my life and my eating is like now in abstinence. So they're all pretty pretty distinct. So growing up, I learned how to comfort myself with food um, very young. I think probably at around eight that I remember starting to use food in a conscious way to comfort myself. And around nine, I started trying to control my eating. And I also, somewhere around that time, started to be unhappy with my body and feel like um, it wasn't the right size and that certain parts of me were too big. And this was reinforced by the feedback I got in my family that sort of that my body was fair game to comment on. Um, the shape of my body and how it took after my, the shape of my mother's body and sort of being exhorted to exercise by my father and that my body was an object that was something that other people had opinions about. That started quite young. The other thing that started quite young is that the way I was punished in my family, one of the primary ways that I was punished is that generally my mother would report misbehavior to my father. And then when he got home, he would physically punish me and my brother. And and at, at that time... In our culture, I think that this was an acceptable thing to do. This was the 1960s. And I certainly considered it normal. I never 
in the early years at least, knew anything else. And I have since come to believe that my father is an alcoholic, and he certainly has a problem with rage. It's a problem that I have inherited, (laughs) that uh, I'm not sure where I was going with this, but just that not only was my body something that was fair game to comment on, it was something that could be hurt as a form of punishment. And at times this was extreme. And it was also not necessarily predictable. And, you know, when I say my father was an alcoholic, it might, it might imply that he did this kind of thing when he was drinking, but actually he was easier to deal with when he was drinking than when he wasn't. <laughs> um, he, he was, drinking was his medicine and it still is. And so he just, he, he just seemed incapable of containing himself. He would just explode. And my brother and I were the victims of his rage for a long time. So I, I really believe that this just contributed to my own feelings about my body that I internalized and that it was something to hate and not something to value. Um, so that's just sort of some background about my family life. There were also wonderful things about my family and one of the gifts of my recovery is that I have a very good relationship with both of my parents and my younger brother. My sister not so much, but I'm coming to, I mean, it's taken me decades to build this positive relationship with my brother and my parents. Um, They were easier. Um, So I guess I'm just kind of trusting that Part of what may need to happen in my relationship with my sister is just some time. So I'm trying not to stress about that too much. Let's see. So I started trying to control food as a young child, and I remember the first, one of the first things I did to try and control it, they they had these um, candies that were called AIDS. (laughs) It was spelled A-Y-D-S. And some of you may remember them. Yeah, the idea was that if you if you ate one of these candies with a hot drink about a half an hour before your meal, your appetite would be suppressed. Well, I, I went on and bought these things at the age of nine or ten from you know scrounged up some money and got them at um, some drugstore. And not only was I ashamed of my body, but I was ashamed of being ashamed of my body. So I certainly wasn't confiding in anybody the feelings that I had about my body. So this box of candies went under my bed, and, of course, um, I did more than eat one of them um, with a cup of something hot, but I I just ate them like candy. So that didn't work. (laughs) And, you know, I think I, I tried various things to control my food, I guess mostly willpower, um, which was completely unsuccessful. And I didn't find anything that worked until I discovered speed when I was 16. And I, I started smoking cigarettes when I was, I think, 14, maybe 15, something like that. And so speed and cigarettes, um, well, speed was really what I... 
suppress my appetite. And um, uh, and it, it also uh, did something to my brain that I liked. Um, it made me very talkative. <laughs> and I and I was I was you know I was once I opened up um, I could talk but I was pretty I was a pretty shy person I was fairly withdrawn and uh, so I discovered this in high school and it was it was street speed and then then there was also um, just over the counter drugstore like no dose and stuff like that that I used. That was probably the first thing. And then there was like asthma medication that we used as speed too, which, you know, <laughs> didn't uh, really think that one through too much. <laughs> Not that any teenager would be thinking things like that through, I mean. <laughs> anyway, so I discovered that and I was able to get down to 98 pounds. And I was about the height that I am now, which is 5'2". And I remember one of our friends saying to me, wow, you look, you look emaciated. And I thought this was the highest compliment. <laughs> so I, I found something that worked. And it was also making me pretty crazy. I would crash really badly from this speed. I mean, coming down off of this, these speed adventures was not pretty. And I am prone to depression as it is, so... That was that was hard. I was also drinking. I began drinking alcoholically when I was 14. So I was playing around with all this stuff. And I liked the personality change that the speed produced. And I liked the fact that I was able to lose weight and control my food, finally. I had been trying to do that, you know, since I was nine years old. So then, okay, so then at, during that period of my life, you know, things became crazier and crazier. And... I am, one of the things I do is I started keeping a journal when I was 14. A lot of things sort of happened when I was 14. I started keeping a journal, and I never stopped. And I have a very well-documented life. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. If, this, if these things ever caught on fire, I would probably be devastated. But they're in a, they're in a steel file cabinet. Anyway, um... It was amazing to me a few years ago, I went and looked back at some of the very first journals and the change in my handwriting and the change in my personality when I started using was really remarkable to me, especially the change in my personality. I mean, the, the, the change in handwriting is interesting because they started out like just, just so neat, you know, and they were just, I mean, the control was just so obvious from the handwriting and then... You know, and then they just became, you know, these scrawls. Because um, half the time I was drunk when I was writing in there. So I really, so that really helped me to see that I had a personality change as a result of the chemicals that I was using. And one of the things I did around that time is I started playing with intravenous drugs. And fortunately for me, they scared the hell out of me. What happened, I mean, I was so out of control the, the couple three times that I did them that I um, I didn't like being out of control <laughs> however the other thing that happened is that I got hepatitis from from the needle and that was long before you know this kind of current hepatitis epidemic but although decades later 
I was re-diagnosed with the hepatitis, and um, so anyway, I yeah, I went to my pediatrician. I'm 17 years old, and went to the pediatrician and got diagnosed with with hepatitis. And he said, well, you need to eat a lot of protein. So I was just off and running, and that was you know, I went, I swung back to the other part of my disease, which is compulsive overeating, and I had I had I had a real noble good reason for doing it. So my life went on like this for a few years, and I sort of muscled my way through when I wasn't busy collapsing from different, you know, I mean emotionally collapsing for different reasons. I was quite self-destructive. I slashed my wrist when I was 16. I was hospitalized for three months. That was a blessing because it got me and my family into therapy, and it got me the help that I was craving and really needed. But I, you know, I lied about my drug use. I lied about my alcohol use. Um, and I just got out and kept on using <laughs> and taking a lot of risks with my health. So I guess I need to fast forward a little bit. Time is, time is flying. So sort of life went on like this. And what eventually happened is that I had the seed of uh, a definition of alcoholism planted in me at the age of 17. And it was, it was there when I was ready to get sober at the age of 21. And it was through Alcoholics Anonymous that I found Overeaters Anonymous, through my sponsor. And I was only three months sober when I got to this program. Maybe I was six months sober, and I had quit smoking in AA. And I knew that I was going to gain weight, and I did, and I let that happen. And that was okay with me because I had wanted to quit smoking so badly. But I I gained about 25 pounds after I quit smoking. And so so it was through that experience that I got to OA. And I was pretty cocky when I got here because I had been in AA and I thought, you know, I, ha- I thought I had the steps nailed. And I make a distinction. It's important to me that I say I'm powerless over food when I introduce myself. Because for many years I said I, I'm a compulsive overeater and, And, you know, I'm not sure, I guess I feel like that I was able to say that for years without really admitting powerlessness over food. Somehow, for me to be explicit about admitting powerlessness over food has been important. And so that's the first step for me. And I had some initial abstinence for a year or two. At this point, anorexia wasn't an issue, or it didn't seem to be an issue. And when I came into OA in 1980, the Dignity of Choice pamphlet was available with food plans in it, and so I used that. I didn't use it particularly rigidly, I don't think. I I combined a couple of food plans that made sense to me, and I used that. And I also, I mean, my mom fed me really well and really did teach me how to eat growing up and so I just kind of returned to what I had learned growing up which is a pretty balanced I mean I eat protein grain and a fruit and a ve- or a vegetable at every meal that's what I do so for me it's been really valuable to have a food plan over the years I mean I've been essentially doing the same thing with my food for about 16 years now and then before that except when I was binging. Then I started 
trying to solve various other health problems with food, a popular pastime. Um, at the time, you know, when I got sober and then I got abstinent, I quit smoking, my face just broke out. I mean, it was like severe. And a friend in program said, oh, that looks like it might be a food allergy. So I went off on that garden path. And, you know, I think it's an infinite path for me. I do believe that I have food sensitivities. I don't know if they're allergies. I did get some allergy testing done a few years ago. And, I mean, I have other kinds of allergies. And, and it makes sense that if I'm allergic, if I have hay fever and allergic to grasses, that I'm also allergic to grains. I generally don't eat wheat. Uh, for years and years and years, I didn't eat bread at all, but now they make bread that I can eat. And I, and I don't eat refined sugar. And that's really worked for me. What I like about having a food plan is I just don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. I just, I know what it is, and it works, and I have quite a lot of flexibility within it. But I'm not just winging it. And for me, I, um, I seem to do well when I have a certain amount of structure. So that's, that's worked really well for me. At a certain point in OA, I believe that I crossed over that line that, that is talked about in the big book. Like maybe I was a problem eater when I came into OA, and then about three years in, I crossed over the line. I'm a true compulsive overeater. You know, a series, I don't know what exactly the triggers were. I went back to college in recovery, and that was pretty hard to do as a 23-year-old, to go live in a dorm um, on a pretty wild hall, you know, me and my recovery. Not so easy. Oh, and I also made the decision to allow my parents to support me at that time. And, you know, that was that was kind of a mixed <laughs> blessing. And it was so. It was at that time that I that I lost my abstinence, and I and I say I've crossed over the line because before that I used to have an occasional binge, and I would bounce right back. After I crossed over that line, I never knew, never knew. Once I started eating compulsively, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be days. I never knew when I was going to be abstinent again, and that went on for. Uh, I think about five years and I ate with a vengeance that I had never eaten with before I found OA I mean I was really eating for oblivion I wanted to read something from the big book because it sort of it sort of captures the difference between the kind of overeating I did before I crossed over the line and before I got to OA and the kind of eating I did after I became a true compulsive overeater and how that was different. So this is from Chapter 11 in the big book, A Vision for You. And I'm going to change the words to apply them to food. For most normal folks, uh, overeating means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry.